Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brad. And this episode, we're discussing SST 147, our first record by Fred Frith and Henry Kaiser. With enemies like these, who needs friends? It's a wild ride, Brant. We've had Henry Kaiser on the show before at SST 118 for the Devil and the Drain record, but this is our first, like, full Frith and Kaiser treatment, and people better strap in. Yeah. Yeah, they better. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's a, a, like, it's just far out and way different than anything that we've had on the show, so interested to talk with you about it here in a bit. Um, can I hit you with a couple of spiels first? You sure can. All right, man. So, the Watt from Pedro show, October 2nd edition, just came out, and it had Ian Mackay on it talking about that awesome record that I just got in the mail finally, Koriki, oh. or Koriki. And uh, it's really good. You've listened to a few Watt shows before, man, and it's a wild ride with him. And oh, yeah. uh, it this this is no no different. And Mike and Ian both have got the gift for Gab. It's a great episode. I missed, missed the fact that he was on there. Yeah, and Mike always plays a bunch of far out stuff too, right? Like it's he, yeah, he does. Yeah, there's there are no themes on that show, and uh, and I love it for that reason. Um, That's how I got into the band Terra Milos from him playing it. Oh no way! Ah, cool. Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah. Oh, he played some weird stuff, Serbian stuff this time. He they also it's inter- You'll you'll appreciate it because they talk. They have like a linguistic debate about like the difference between a proj and a band or or prac and rehearsing. And uh, and, and okay. you'll dig that, man. <laughs> Trust me. But I'm, I'm going to come back to Koriki in a second here. Um, oh, by the way, they also they also explain um, where the name Koriki is from. It's a, it's a, actually a dice game that Ian brought over from Europe. So check out that podcast. Um, oh, kind of like Husker do then. Yeah. So. So I was just saying, like, I finally got that Koriki record, though. And, man, I love it. Like, oh, man, it's good. And, you know, I've always liked Minor Threat, Egg Hunt, Scoobald, that kind of stuff. I've always loved Embrace, Fugazi. And I also have really dug the Evens. And and I thought they, the Evens were just getting better and better, too. Their last record, The Odds, is right up there with some of the best of Fugazi for me. But this Koriki record is out of sight, man. And you know what the special sauce is on that record? What's that? Joe Lally, man. Yeah, he's the, for sure. He's the special sauce. Yeah. He's been just killing it on those Mesthetics records. And I think it's a natural progression from those Evens records. This Koriki record, it takes... It just takes Ian and Amy, that formula, to the next and natural extension of the evens for me. So I'm going to call uh, Joe Lally, Joe the Special Sauce Lally from now on. <laughs> All right, hon, because hopefully it's hopefully that sticks. I'm sure it'll stick. You know, I'm a bit of a tastemaker, so why wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, now, relatedly, <laughs> the same day, I got the Koriki record. And I, I never really listened to any of, like, the preview tracks. I listened to it really for the first time when I got it. And uh, it was just awesome to listen to the record. And the same day, I also got the new Bob Mould record. So mm-hmm. I was able to listen to both of those kind of back-to-back nonstop for the last few days. And whoa, Nelly, man. Like, that new Bob Mould record is also killer. Like, two amazing records by uh, musicians that I've been following for, it seems like, my entire life. But Blue Hearts, man, I'm going to come right out and say it like, it's it is Bob Mould at his best um, from that opening track, the opening acoustic track, "Heart of My Sleeve," um, and the rest of the album. It's Bob Mould at his most political for sure. Yeah. Um, the band with him are just on fire as usual. I'm gonna say like it stacks up there for me for all the Mould eras, like Husker, Sugar, the solo stuff before Worcester joined and then Narducci joined some of the songs on this record and even the B side, man, the B side of the record is solid right, right from start to finish little pieces, leather dreams, password to my soul, everything in this latest run of the Bob mold records, it stacks up there with those previous Bob mold eras, except for nostalgia, like, and that nostalgia will just come with time for this era of Bob mold. Yeah, for sure. Yep. 
But speaking of nostalgia, I was thinking, so I got this Corky and Bob Mould record in the mail. And you you know how when we're done the show, we're going to have everyone over for like a wrap-up party? Mm-hmm, yeah. So I was thinking like an awesome, we'll, we'll definitely have some SS tree bands on there. And, and arguably, you know, if you go six degrees of Ginnovation, you know, you could, and, and of course, Mold was on SST, but you can wrap the Evens in on here. And I'm thinking Bob and the Evens would be a wicked double bill for the Mojack wrap-up party. I'm just putting that out there. We might um, have to rent a hall. Maybe. <laughs> a, a good old Ukrainian hall. Maybe, you know what? If it's going to be up here in Canada, we better rent a curling rink. Let's do that. <laughs> but but I, I realized... We could have a, other... we could have a curling bonspiel. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. Um, now, I realized, though, when I was listening to these records and how I was just loving them so much, like, I really, really needed these records uh, in the last few days. And... And I was like, man, that would be deadly to have them play at their wrap-up party. I realized I'm coming up in January on a year of not seeing any live music. Hmm. And that really sucks, man. That sucks yeah. so hard. And the other thing I noticed, and you'll appreciate this because you're you're the poster meister. There are like no there's been no posters around anywhere for like almost six months or so, right? No one's making posters and putting up posters. Yeah. And it's true. And I don't know. I always, I always used to like to kind of keep it, you know, a lookout for posters for a good show. And I was feeling nostalgic, and I wanted to give you a bit of a poster book spiel so that you could, you and maybe our listeners could get primed for when we, when we can all get sweaty in a room with a band again. Are you ready for a poster spiel? Yeah, man. Okay. So here we go. This is a bit random, but I mean, I just, I need to go to a show, and this is gonna have to tide me over, because I, I just want to see. Bob and Ian and Amy and John and everyone play these records live. So here's one. Punk Rock Paper Scissors. Mm-hmm. Is that a Canadian one? I don't think so. It's mm. um, I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm I'm like the publisher is uh, from Berkeley, oh. California. Well, I must be it's thinking 80s of a different punk. Book. Yeah, this one's Punk Rock Paper Scissors, 80s punk and hardcore flyers. It was published in. Uh, 2014 image comics inc put this one out and it's just got tons and tons of classic images lots of stuff that i haven't seen before though really good to check out obviously lots of lots of crimson ghost misfits posters lots of pedabone posters really awesome here's another one street art the Punk Poster in San Francisco 1977 to 1981 this is a great mm. book like uh, Peter Bel Belcito, Bob Davis, Marion Kester. This came out on Last Gasp. So this is like a local San Francisco press, I believe. 1981. This came out though, and man, some of the imagery in here, like early crime, crime yeah. screamers, posters, Avengers, Dead Kennedys, of course, um, and lots of those great collage artists from back then that we. We still like looking at. But here's another one that's. I think this might be. This might be the fanciest one I've got. It's not just posters. It's called Punk is Dead. Punk is Everything. Punk flyers, posters, set lists, art, photos, and zines. And this one is on Ginkgo Press. This one came out in 2007. It's a. Re it's like a legit coffee table book, but it's. Just some of the the posters in here. Some of them are really DIY compared to the previous two. Like some of these are just like you know, someone took a bic pen, mm -hmm. scribbled a poster. They used all the ink in that one pen, and that's the one that we, that's the one that was used for a show. And then there are amazing, amazing pieces of artwork in here. And lots of skate, uh, skateboarding artwork too. And then finally, the fourth one I wanted to mention. Also from Ginkgo Press, which is kind of the classic one, the, the one that maybe, you know, uh, tipped me off to checking out some poster books and getting all nostalgic. This one's called Fucked Up and Photocopied, Instant Art of the Punk Rock Movement. Brian Ray Turcott and Christopher Miller put this one out on in Ginkgo Press. This one first came out in 1999. I think it has been republished, and I think, to tie it all back... 
to um, maybe some Discord stuff, I'm pretty sure you can buy it off of the Discord's records website. So I know you're probably missing. You used to make posters every single day of your life for like the last 20 years. You're probably missing it. Why don't you check out these books, Brent? <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> That's all I got, man. All right. I feel like in, in your spiels, you're going to get me to mind my P's and Q's, but let's see what happens here. These aren't spiels. These are bond spiels. Are you ready? <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. A few weeks ago or last week or whatever, you mentioned that Bad Religion book. I'd actually been listening to the audiobook version, which I purchased. Oh, right on. And it's, man, it's good. Yeah. The author, Jim Ruland. Dude, wait, wait, wait. how don't you say his name. Don't spoil it, right? I got about 100 pages left, okay? Okay, I won't spoil it. Uh, he did a great job. He writes for Razor Cake. He did the Keith Morris book with Keith. This one he did with the band as well. Yep. Gave me a new appreciation for the band, man. I've been listening to all their records and I'm I've gotten up to stranger than fiction I'm really enjoying them uh, especially suffer and recipe for hate I've always had a soft spot for uh, a few things I wanted to mention which will not be spoilers for you because these are mentioned pretty early on but Joe Keithley gets credited for yeah. uh, for the dialect champion yeah which I thought was <laughs> awesome. Joe gets the shout out for the Yahe. Yeah, not for the oohs and ahs, but for the Yahe. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, Keith Morris. Uh, just these tidbits being on the song Operation Rescue, which I probably knew, but they chose to put him on that song because it was a nod to the Circle Jerk song Operation. Yeah. And that the number that they list on the song Group Sex, it was actually Lucky Lair's number, his actual phone number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just the like the Brian Baker stuff. They, there's some junkyard talk on there. He was in an early version of Sam Hain, which I'm not sure I knew. So oh no, just lots of in, lots of interesting things like that. Yeah, yeah. He uh, when Glenn was trying to pull together Sam Hain, Brian sat in with him for a while. I'm not even sure they played a show, but yeah, no, it's it's great, it's great. And you know, it is one of those bands I have followed. I've picked up every album that's come out. Sometimes they are in pretty quick succession. And honestly, um, they kind of bleed into the other. But if you get a Bad Religion album, even their their most recent ones, you are going to have some tricky lyrics to wrap your head around. You're going to have some well-written songs, well-produced tunes, and uh, you're going to feel pumped. So definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, man. Uh, so as you mentioned, the P's and Q's. So I did <laughs> my ongoing segment of get this shit off my phone. I'm on the P's and Q's, but my phone has the S section and the R section and the T section make up about 80% of the music on my phone. So it's kind of, I'm going to start blending those three sections together until we get oh, through, through them. Okay. You're, be, you're being, you're really taking license with the alphabet here now. <laughs> Your OCD can't hang. Oh, right? I'm having a real problem. At least go slowly for me, okay? I can't. <laughs> I I got to rattle these off. I've got a lot. <laughs> okay. Cyclone Rangers. Do you oh, know them? Yes. Yes. Garage rock band from Philadelphia. Kind of, I don't know, cramps meets early John Spencer with some mud honey thrown yeah, in. exactly. Awesome stuff. Exactly. Nice. Yep. Penetration Moon, self-titled. We've talked about your love of the dwarves. Do you know Penetration Moon, Ryan? I don't. I don't. Side project that Blag had in the early 90s. This album was recorded back then, but it's only been made available in the last few years. It was bootlegged before that, uh -huh. but it's good. Is it uh, garagey? It's garagey. There's like, uh, it sounds like the dwarves, you know? They oh. cover Gigi Allen, the weirdos, the dead boys, heartbreakers. It's good. You'd like it. Okay, cool. I'm in. My old band used to cover a song by Penetration Mood called I'm Trash. Hmm. Which band was that? The Trainwreck Endings. Trainwreck Endings. Okay, I thought so. Yeah. Okay, the new Chuck Prophet record. Uh, it's called The Land That Time Forgot on Yep Rock. It's great, just like almost all of his stuff. If you're not familiar with him, he was in the band Green on Red. More of like 
that rockin' Americana stuff like Tom Petty or something like that. And there's a new book out about Chuck and Green on Red called What Makes the Monkey Dance by Stevie Simkin that I've started reading, which is really great so far. Finally, a book covering Green on Red and Chuck's career. Yeah, I was just uh, listening to Green on... I'm not as big of a fan of Green on Red as you are, but I was just listening to them yesterday for some reason. I uh, I slapped on the Border Radio soundtrack. Nice. Which, uh, which That's always... That's a good one. Oh, yeah. That one never disappoints. It's perfect for the afternoon around the house. Yeah, that one is in the comp zone. And also, <laughs> it's on probably on the tree too, hey? Oh, for sure, sure it's it got, is, man. It's got well, Christy on it for sure. Christy's on it at the at yeah. the bare minimum, yep. Yeah. Okay, this French noise rock band, Ryan called Putra. That was a recommend for me, bro. <laughs> Last in, first out. You were right, it's great. I liked oh, it I a lot. You. Yeah, it's yeah. good. That one. Yeah. That one's going to be, uh, it feels like it might be a top tenner for me too. I'm listening to it a ton. Okay. Ryan, a band that I think I've been recommended from a, few listeners i'm i'm not sure how i heard of this band but they're called pale angels do you know them i don't okay so there's a record called imaginary people that i checked out uh the bassist jamie morrison is in the band wish granters their records are they have stuff on recess records okay um kind of like a little bit of replacements um some of the sst sound it's really good you should check them out, Pale Angels. Yeah, I feel like you've recommended them before to me for some mm, reason. Maybe I don't not. think so. No. No, okay. Okay. They're new to me, but I'll definitely be digging into their back catalog. Okay, here's one that's on the SS tree. The band's called The President, and the album's called Bring Your Camera. And your is spelled Y-R, like Sonic Youth spells it. Pretty sure Elliot Sharp mentioned this record in episode 128. I think that's why it's on my radar, but I could be wrong about that. Released in 1988, he plays on it, uh, as does drummer Bobby Previte, who we'll be seeing when we get to uh, Elliot's Carbon Records. Oh, yeah. It's a really cool instrumental record. Their songs are fairly melodic, but with some avant-garde and prog flourishes. It's interesting. It's It's worth checking out for sure. It's a cool record. Pygmy Love Circus, The Power of Beef. Yes. Uh, This was their reunion album, 2003. You like Pygmy Love Circus? Yeah. Why are you laughing at that? I'm surprised you S- would. That's on the SS tree too, bro. Don't forget. How's it on the tree? Oh, Anthony Martinez. Yeah, man. Yeah, he didn't play on this record, though. This was uh, Danny Carey of Tool. Played drums on this one. I'm surprised you like Pygmy Love Circus, though. It's kind of really? like biker rock or something. Well, it's not It's not like hair metal or something. Yeah, I guess not. Okay, the perfect professionals what in the world 2017 for those who don't know this is the band that paul cook and steve jones formed after the sex pistols they released a couple of great albums in the early 80s they reformed in 2017 with tom spencer filling in for steve jones apparently with his blessing and released this outstanding record which made my top 10 that year Uh, they also actually get some mentions in that bad religion book as does the great band Steve had with Michael DeBars called Checkered Past. Uh, They've also released three singles this year and a live album that I absolutely need to get my hands on ASAP. But if you haven't heard that record, Ryan, What in the World by The Professionals, every song on it is just outstanding. I know my buddy Graham is a huge Professionals fan and got the box set that came out last year too. Yeah. Primal Scream, Give Out But Don't Give Up, the original Memphis recordings. This is an excellent two-disc version of their 94 album of the same name that came out a couple years ago. Uh, I like Primal Scream best when they're doing the the Stones, and this one just drips with the, that kind of soul blues swagger of 70s era Stones. It's awesome, and the unreleased stuff on this just rules too. So if you're into that, check it out. Parchman Farm, 2004 self-titled EP. The vocalist Eric Shea... Uh, He's been in a bunch of bands, but he came to my attention on the excellent album Original Recipe by the band Mover, which is just a classic. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the Stones, Black Crows vibe. Man's Ruin. uh, It came came out on Man's Ruin in 97, and it just rules so hard. This Parchment Farm EP is also cool. It's similar to Mover, but not quite as 
classic, you know? That Mover album is like a perfect record, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah it's pretty damn good. Did you ever check out their second album? I've never been able to track it down. Oh, no? No. Oh, I'll have to spin it when you come here one day. Oh, you have it. Cool. Okay, uh, a couple of listeners, Ryan, Jeremy Seidner, and also Willis Stork, who did the zine Get Off My Wagon, which I believe you've mentioned before. Yeah. They've been hipping me to some of the Kansas punk scene, and they both singled out a band called Panel Door on Lotus Pool Records. Uh, their self-titled 1994 debut. Wow. Really great players. They're associated with a band I know you like called Zoom. Yes. Helium Octopede. Do you, know, do you know that band, Panel Door? I don't. Okay, now, well, you, bet, you better now. thank Willis and Jeremy because you're going to love, you're going to love Panel Door. I wow. did their debut album. Yeah, they're going to be like your new obsession, I think. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, they're no, like... I dig, I dig me some Zoom. I got both of gr- Zoom's records. Panel Door is like great bass playing. It's mathy, but not they don't sacrifice melody like some of the math bands do. Oh, yeah. Pacific Range, high up on the mountains. This is brand new, 2020. Uh, Brent Rademacher of Beachwood Sparks, Further, and currently Gospel Beach signed this band to his new label, Curation Records. They're the first band on his label. Much like the Chris Robinson Brotherhood, they're a definite nod to the Grateful Dead. It's a double album. It's really good. Pacific Range. Okay, the Q section, Ryan. It's really short. Queensryche, Rage for Order, 1986. I don't care what anyone says. Everything this band released from 1982 to 1990 is untouchable. Queensryche, Ryan. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) Best band to come out of Seattle. Okay, Q65. (laughs) 60s garage band from the Netherlands. Nothing But Trouble, their best of comp, has all their early singles and album tracks. Those early Kinks records and Pretty Things albums they get all the love for being like so raunchy for their era and they deserve all the praise they get but uh, q65 should be mentioned too and probably would be if they were british the choir boys live in london 2009 i mentioned this band a few weeks ago and you assumed they were canadian yeah probably probably because they toured here a lot in the early 90s they were huge here right yeah yeah they were pretty big you also they're from london by the way you also uh I believe, incorrectly referred to them as a hair metal band. (laughs) (laughs) They most certainly are not. They are straight out of the face of Stone's Black Crows School of Rock. And every album they've released just rules. If you like Mover, you would like the Choir Boys, man. All right, I'll give them another try. Listen to their album, This Is Rock and Roll. It's great. Okay, and speaking of those kinds of bands, Quaker City Nighthawks. Uh, their 2019 album, QCNH. They're a Fort Worth band. This one came out last year, and it's got a great Southern Rock Stones sound also. Really good stuff. Okay, really quickly, I'm going to start some of my R section, Ryan. Rat at Rat R. Are you a fan? I don't know that one. I know Rat at Rat at Rat R. Okay, I don't know that one. Debut album on Glenn Branca's Neutral Records, 1985. Rock and Roll is Dead, Long Live Rat at Radar. They're like a New York noise band, contemporaries of Swans and Sonic Youth. They're really good, man. You should check them out. You'd like them. Rat at Radar. Red, yep. Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry. Oh, yeah. I did the record Nothing Wrong. That's their third album, released in 1988. British post-punk with a touch of goth, industrial. A bit of like Chairs Missing era wire, almost. Okay, here's one that's on the tree, Ryan. Regressive Aid, Effects on Exposed People. Nice. 1983 guitarist William Tucker, along with Andrew Weiss and Sim Kane of Gone and Rollins Band. Oh, Sim Kane. There you go. We interviewed Andrew for episode 86 and talked about this band. Uh, You can totally hear why Ginn recruited them when you listen to this record. Remarkable rhythm section. Red Rockers, Condition Red. Do you know that record, Ryan? I don't know that record. I do know the Red Rockers. I'm not surprised that you're a fan. Yeah, well, you know what, man? You should check this one out. So 
That later stuff is okay. It's a little more new wavy. This record is total like 77 street punk. A little bit of clash thrown in. It's really good. It's a really good record, man. It was released on CD uh, with a bunch of bonus tracks. Condition Red. Condition Red. Okay. Yeah. I did that Rule of Thumb featuring Dave Smalley 7-inch. Nice. Pretty cool. It's got that early 90s melodic punk sound that I'm a sucker for. I would love to hear their their uh, 12-inch EP. Yeah, I tracked it down since I mentioned it on the show. Oh, really? Yeah. it's. I, I mean, I like the single. Um, you also referenced the relationship of them to Serpico and Sleeper, and I've been digging that since as well, so thanks for that. Yeah, well, don't thank me. Uh, I'm sorry the name is escaping me, but a, a listener hipped us to that connection. Okay, speaking of early 90s melodic punk rock, since we mentioned them last week, Ryan, or you did, I did the Red Fisher War Wagon yes. album. A Winnipeg band that were total road warriors. Like, I'm sure you played with them a zillion times uh, in the early 90s. A few. Kind of in the, kind of in the dag nasty, all big drill car vein. Uh, this is the compilation of their cassette releases on Propagandi's label G7 Welcoming Committee. Well, I mean, it's a re-record of the tracks from the cassettes. The cassettes... Oh, is yeah, it? Yeah, the, all the cassettes are... Like, those would be, you know, four-track recordings and whatnot, and they would... And then, before they broke up, they re-recorded, you know, I guess their best songs, arguably, off of their preceding five or six cassettes. Then... Um, John went on to form uh, a band. Um, he moved to Calgary and then formed a band called Miko, which is also worth checking out. M-I-C-O. Okay, here's one that's on the tree. I did the Reign of Terror, Don't Blame Me, 7-inch, 1983. Jesse Fix of the Stains, Ed Danke of Worm. Reissued on that label, Radio Rahim. The A-side of this single just rips. It's riffy, early hardcore, but with a rock edge to it that that's just awesome. Rain Sanction, Ryan Ooh. Brock's Cabin, yes. 1991. Yes. Sub Pop. I wasn't grooving to this one as hard as I did to the Mariposa record, but it's still really great. Oh, they're awesome. Total Dinosaur Jr. influence there. Yeah. Range War, Home on the Range. It, this is a honky-tonk country band that Lee Ving formed in the mid-'80s. The album was recorded in 85, but just came out a few years ago. Some of the lyrics are kind of cheesy or untimely, like there's a song on there, for example, called Don't Tread On Me. But it's a cool listen, and, you know, Lee's voice, of course, is amazing. Um, I'm looking forward to this 35th anniversary edition of Fear's More Beer that's coming out this month. It's a triple LP with the original album, a new mix of the album, and a bunch of alternate versions. So I'll be checking that out for sure. I love that record. And speaking of that Kansas City scene ryan red x red m do you know them red x m i do not red red x red m oh red x red m i don't know that one either <laughs> okay well there's the second recommend for you that you're just gonna flip your shit over okay the album looks like they only have one album between your prayers and my curses our kind may triumph yet uh it's got a dude that's in that band sweet pea and hitch switch hitter Ooh, that you mentioned yes yeah you'll like it man okay right on yeah one of those dudes that we're talking about the kansas scene mentioned that that band i think nice much appreciated yeah okay ryan really quick here i had knocked three more off of your recommend list here the saint james infirmary self-titled 1998 record just okay for me i possibly was not in the mood for it when i listened to it though I did the Kronk Men album three that came out last year. Surf Doom. I think you, Surf Doom, yeah. Reminded me of a new band called Death Wheelers. Okay. What did you think? It was okay. Just okay. Yeah. Uh, but the one, the my favorite thing, it might be the favorite thing I've heard yet of your recommends in this, uh, in your last 10 section. I don't think they were in your last 10. I think they just were an add-on. Oh. But dubs, dub sex. Oh, yeah. Search for the right words. They've got that UK post-punk sound with a bit of pill mixed in and some killing joke. This I totally loved. Dub sex. Yeah. Well, did you check out the subsequent band that uh, Hoyle was in called Dumb? That I think was my actual recommend. Not yet. Okay. I'm I'm knocking them off my list, man. Yeah, yeah. No, 
dub sex is great. Dumb is great as well. The the singer, um, I just love his voice and the the musicianship on those records. Technical minimalism, tuneful melodic post punk, awesome. Right on. Whew. Ryan, I'm nervous about like getting to the S section of my phone. That's gonna be sensational. <laughs> 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 all right all right man are you uh are you feeling drowsy maggie <laughs> history lesson part one all right brant where should we go uh with this record we we did a bit of a dive on henry kaiser maybe we, should we dip our toe into some frith territory first or what's your what's your fancy okay well i'll get you i'll get you up to speed here ryan uh henry kaiser we've of course seen on episode 110 crazy backwards alphabet as well as 118 his solo album devil in the drain we chatted with him on that episode so go back to those episodes if you need a refresher kind of on henry's career we have briefly seen fred and henry together on episode 102 the no age comp where a track off this release appears ryan do you have that no age comp handy i do it's one of my two spaceman spiels for you this episode just tell me when to go go okay from the no age comp at the back there of course is a spiel about henry kaiser which we've been through before but here is the frith and kaiser spiel here's the spaceman henry kaiser has found probably the only person in the world who could keep up with his wild improvisations fred frith legendary since his pioneering work with henry cow and other seminal art bands fred frith has only built upon a reputation as one of the most exploratory of all guitarists. On these recordings, which for the most part were completely improvisational, Fred and Henry achieve a synthesis of style that is nothing less than stunning. Stringed symphonies that reflect the instant feelings of two artists who are masters of their instruments can be nothing less than real music. The music these two made together is recorded beautifully, and the live material is equal in quality in all aspects. The song The Trace is from the CD-only release with enemies like these, Who Needs Friends? And that's this episode. Yeah. Okay, Fred Frith. Fred was born in Heathfield in East Sussex, England in 1949. Fred is actually a nickname he was given at a young age after motorcycle racer Freddie Frith, no relation. His birth name is actually Jeremy. He started out on violin at age 5 but switched to guitar age 13. Like so many of his generation over in England, he got bit by the blues bug and by age 15 he had a blues band called The Chaperones who were gigging around the north of England. He came from a family that had a huge appreciation for an eclectic variety of music and was taking in folk, rock, classical, ragtime, flamenco, as well as music from other countries such as India and Japan. Fred met Tim Hodgkinson in 1968 at a blues club in Cambridge where he was going to university. By this point, he's really into Frank Zappa and avant-garde composer John Cage. He and Tim form experimental rock group Henry Cow who released five totally out there records between 1973 and 79. There have subsequently been many live archival releases, including an exhaustive 17 disc box set. And there's also a book entitled Henry Cow, The World is a Problem, which came out last year, written by Benjamin Pickett, who is a historian of experimental music and an associate professor of music at Corn Cornell University. So, you know, it's totally exhaustive. Yeah. Um, Fred also started his parallel solo career in 1974 with the first record under his own name entitled Guitar Solos. The album was released to much critical acclaim and is today considered a landmark, a landmark album due to its innovative and experimental approach to guitar playing. In April of 1978, following a tour of Scandinavia, Henry Cow bassist Georgina Bourne leaves the band. Uh, to finish the touring engagements in France and Italy, Fred moved over to bass and they bring in American guitarist Henry Kaiser to take over on guitar duties. Unfortunately, this lineup lasted very briefly, I think only a few shows, but there's a great bootleg called 
Culture d'Ouest from a show in France on June 6, 1978, featuring Henry on guitar. It's just mentioned very briefly in the book. It says, Henry joined for two gigs in France. He had been in London visiting his idol, Derek Bailey, and also wanted to meet Fred. He had never played in a rock band before. He, he says, I played part of the show. I remember playing Ruins. I remember Fred was playing bass, and I tried to imitate what Fred did on guitar on the record, having a strong personal affection for what he did on the album. So that's how he first met Fred Frith, was, was playing those final few dates with, with Henry Cow. As Henry Cow were falling apart in 1978 due to creative differences, Fred and two other members splintered off and formed the project Art Bears. They released three albums between 1978 and 1981, and there's also a box set called The Art Box, containing six CDs featuring all three albums and a bunch of live and unreleased material. That first Art Bears record was slated to be a Henry Cow record. Fred also released his second solo album Gravity during this era. In 1979 he moved to New York and immediately fell in with the avant-garde downtown music scene. At this point the projects and collaborations just explode. Uh, he forms the excellent band Massacre in 1980 with uh, Bill Laswell and Fred uh, Mayer, recording an album called Killing Time at Martin B.C.'s studio. Yeah, he formed an improv group called Skeleton Crew he started composing for film, dance, theater, as well as writing and composing for other musicians and groups. Then in 1979, Fred and Henry collaborated on a studio album called With Friends Like These. It was released in July of 79 on Meta Language Records, which is the label Henry Kaiser co-owned with saxophonist Larry Ox. They recorded and mixed it at Mobius Music in San Francisco. All of the tracks originated as free improvisations. A few years later, in 1983, they collaborated again on a second album of improvised experimental music called Who Needs Enemies? Again released on Meta Language, also recorded at Mobius Music. Both records were co-produced and engineered by Oliver DeSisso. Oliver was the owner and chief engineer at Mobius, He's also had a lengthy career as an engineer, but also through his own work uh, in musical instrument sculpture and kinetic sound sculpture. He fabricates a lot of instruments and high-tech experimental sculptural musical instruments, as he calls them. Uh, for some examples of some of the crazy-looking instruments he's created, go to his website, oliverdecisso.com. That brings us, Ryan, to this record, which is... I guess kind of a greatest hits compilation of these two records. Uh, they were both out of print by this point in 1987. As you mentioned, it's CD only, and it's one hour, ten minutes long. It contains five tracks from their first record together, seven from the second, and four unreleased live tracks recorded in October of 1984 for a total of 16 tracks. And both albums were released again in 1999 on Cuneiform Records, on a double CD set called Friends and Enemies, which also contains scores of unreleased live and studio tracks. Both artists have albums on SST that we'll be getting to later on, and they collaborated multiple times following these releases. We'll be seeing Fred on episode 172, Technology of Tears, double album, uh, which Henry makes an appearance on, and Henry on 198, Those Who Know History Are Doomed to Repeat It, and 222, Remarrying for Money both of those records engineered by Oliver DeSisso. Also, episode 237, alternate versions. Who knows where else these guys are going to pop up in yeah. the SST catalog. Especially for the next 200 or so releases, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they also worked together in the group French, Frith, Kaiser, and Thompson with John French uh, from Captain Beefheart's Magic Band and also Crazy Backwards Alphabet. And yep. Richard Thompson, ex-Fairport Convention, who had a lengthy solo career. Also, the Unexpected Twins Project, which came out last year and features saxophonist Bruce Ackley and Aram Shelton. Probably many other appearances together. Here's Oliver DeSisso from the liner notes to the Friends and Enemies comp on Cuneiform. I've worked with Henry and Fred for over two decades now. In that time, we've probably recorded 30 or 40 album projects together. Having the opportunity to be part of the 
creative process has been both rewarding and enlightening. 20 years ago when we were making the two albums, I recognized that what we were doing was innovative and important. It wasn't until I heard the music again after a 12-year hiatus that I realized just how far ahead of their time these records really were. The use of noise predates most of the out genre that followed and still sounds better to me than most new music being made today. The unusual Lynn drum programming on their second album and on the live tracks presented here predated the 90s drum and bass music by more than a decade. Fred and Henry possess a very special chemistry. Fred brings a compositional and melodic aesthetic to the process while Henry adds an unfettered approach to sound and guitar technique. I was amazed at their ability spontaneously and seemingly without effort to create complex and dynamic compositions from the moment we started recording. The process of working with Henry and Fred has been one where I was free to become part of the creative team in a way that transcended mere audio engineering. It was an opportunity to grow creatively and one which enriched my life and inspired my own artistry. And here's from this record's liner notes, Ryan, the SST CD. Frith and Kaiser give very special thanks to our engineer Oliver DeSisu, who recorded this music with us in an especially collaborative and creative way. So although he's not listed on the album cover, I really think, you know, they kind of considered him integral to the creation of the record. Yeah, I agree. Can I hit you with uh, a second dose of some Spaceman about this record? Yeah, man. Okay, so we heard uh, the No Age spiel. Here's the SST catalog spiel about this Frith and Kaiser record. Two of the world's greatest guitarists are symbiotically tied together on this amazing CD-only clamorous blowout. Culled from previously released material and rare live recordings, this shows why both Fred and Henry are world-renowned as masters of six-string madness. Yeah. CD only, $13 US. Yeah. I am far from a completist man, but that Henry Cow stuff is great. Some of the Art Bear stuff that I've heard is okay. I don't like it as much as the Henry Cow stuff. Uh, that album, Gravity, I have that one. That's really cool. Um, both of those French Frith, Kaiser and Thompson records are both really good. There's some good stuff. I mean, he's got an insane career. Oh, no they doubt. Bo they both do. Like, probably, I don't know, close to a thousand albums between them, I bet. That they've contributed to in some way or another, I bet you. Yep. Yeah. So prolific. And, I mean, when you talk, when we were talking with Henry, like, I mean, I don't know. I haven't checked on Fred Frith, but I presume he's just as prolific. Oh, yeah, he and, is. Yeah. And, there's, and there's no end in sight. Yeah. I have to think that, like, Greg Ginn was absolutely thrilled to have Fred Frith connected to his record label. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. You want to do the tracks? Let's do it. History lesson, part two. Okay, track one is called The Trace, and, and it's from Who Needs Enemies. This one is also on the No Age comp. It's the last song on the original album, first one here. Fred does this song with his band Keep the Dog on a live album called The House That We Live In. That version is really cool, where a sax kind of doubles the main melody. You can really hear the melody in the song on that version. You can definitely hear that Lynn drum sound, but it's a cool song. Yeah, it to me sounded. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe say this a few times while we're going through all the tracks. It just sounded like the '80s to me for sure. Oh, yeah. '80s '80s theme music. There's some good shredding on this song, though. I mean, yeah. this record is not honestly. It's not my cup of tea, but it does keep you guessing and there's a lot like if you focus and don't just write it off um because it's so 80 sounding um it definitely really keeps you interested i suppose you could say when i when i was listening to it there's lots of layers and lots of weird stuff that you encounter as you go yeah the lynn drum dates it for sure but much like you know henry kaiser's devil in the drain it's not one i'm going to go back to over and over and over but I have huge respect for both of the musicians, and they do have records that I listen to more frequently. And I mean, this one's long, too. It's over an hour, which is long for any record, much less this kind of music. Oh, well, the CD, 
says itself that this is on like a maximum length CD only release, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> it says right on the packaging. Yeah. 71 uh, minutes and 40 seconds. Yeah. I wouldn't listen to this in one sitting for sure. Okay. Track two, three languages from the album with friends like these. This is the longest track at nine minutes, 27 seconds. Reminds me of some of those prepared guitar sounds we heard on the Elliott Sharp records. It kind of does have three port parts, like it morphs into a cool ambient part, and then there's like this total insane part. Uh, I'm assuming that's where the the title of this song comes from, Three Languages. Yeah. I yeah. did like the part where you it seems like they're getting a sound. I don't know who's doing it, but either uh, Fred or Henry is getting a sound out of the guitar just by kind of... Wrapping their knuckles on the body of the guitar. I, I thought that was a cool sound. Yeah. Love and Hell from Live October 84. The live tracks on the Cuneiform release are all listed as October of 84. Uh, it says live tracks recorded at Wolf Wolfgang's San Francisco, McCabe's in Santa Monica, and the Kuwamba Jazz Society Santa Cruz. So they, I'm guessing they played those three shows to kind of support maybe the original records and recorded them. Right. Uh, on the SST version, it says the live stuff was recorded without overdubbing, which is interesting because there's a lot going on here for two guys, unless maybe Oliver was also performing, but I don't think so, unless he was doing stuff from the mixing desk. Mm. Uh, so these live tracks would have been unreleased at this point. Uh, this one has someone kind of crying out on it, and it's Fred Frith, as he's listed as voice in the liner notes. Track four, Twisted Memories Give Way to the Angry Pleasant, from the album with friends like these. There's some guitar sounds on this one. Uh, considering these two are primarily known as guitarists, there's not a lot of, you know, traditional guitar sounds on the record. I definitely pick out Henry's playing on this one. Yeah. There's some nice bass moments in the song that kind of add to the moodiness when uh, a bass note is dropped into the uh, the piece um and there's this this one definitely has got some distinctive guitar on it as opposed yeah. to the first three tracks yeah track five one of nature's mistakes from the album who needs enemies speaking of bass this one sounds it's i think it's probably fred playing bass reminding me a bit of the band dose actually yeah that is, I have the exact same thing in my notes here. It's actually a standout track for me because of that, because I really liked the intro chording for the, the, the first part of the song. It really reminded me of Dose as well. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a favorite for me. The next one, Roy Rogers from the album Who Needs Enemies. Uh, the, the Who Needs Enemies tracks, I noticed, have a bit more melody and structure to them, like the yeah. second record. Uh, we've got some keyboards, sounds like a program drum, pretty complex pattern that kind of weaves in and out of. There's some marimba coolness on this track too that I yeah. that keeps cropping up now and then over this CD. Some like when the marimba comes in, it catches my attention, reminds me of some Zappa and Beefheart vibes. Yeah, that's Fred Frith, I think, on marimba. Track seven, it sings from with friends like these. Definitely more of an avant-garde free-form thing on this one, and all the tracks off the first record. There's definitely two distinct things going on with these two different records. So I listened to this record, uh, I guess before I read the inner liner notes, if I can call it that, to see who's playing what, and it's not listed in terms of the actual instruments that they played. But the track it sings, when I was listening to the song and the sounds, it made me think of a singing saw. You know, when they make a singing mm -hmm. saw sound, and I was like, I wonder if that's what it is. But then when you look at, you know, they did not play a saw on this record. <laughs> so I don't know how they got that uh, sound, but it really, like, you know, when they bow a oh, yeah. saw? I've seen people do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of there. There are sounds coming out of the stuff that they're playing. Sounds like a singing saw, and I'm like, yeah, man, it does sing. <laughs> okay, track eight, drowsy Maggie, live October '84. Some program drums, likely Fred doing some bass popping. Not necessarily though. Fred might have been Henry. 
guitar synth for sure. This is my favorite song title on the album, Drowsy Maggie. Yeah, it has a good song name. The song name was better than the song for me, if I'm being <laughs> honest, though. Yeah. The Kirk is Light from Who Needs Enemies. Fred on violin here, his first instrument. Kind of a cool repetition to this one, The Kirk is Light. Yeah. The violin really sticks out because it hasn't really cropped up and up until now. Like it's all of a sudden, boom, violin comes out on the ninth track after all that chaos. Yeah. The golden 80s from Who Needs Enemies, built around a tom pattern on the Lindrum, kind of shifts into this funky slap bass groove with marimbas. Uh, again, credited to Fred. And some sitar. Yeah. 11, Objects Every Day from Who Needs Enemies. It's kind of got the steady metronome of the kick drum with a bass line and some eastern sounding guitar tones and patterns over top. Can definitely, again, pick out Henry's playing on this one. Yeah, weird, scrapey sounding click track, it sounds like too, right? Yeah. The changing of names with friend, from with friends like these. Again, here's more of the experimental guitar kind of drone stuff that we see more of on that first record. The guitars are tuned down extremely low on this song. Track 13, It Moves from With Friends Like These. Fred's back on the violin over top of some bass and some pretty noisy guitar. I like the second half of this song when the pace picks up. It sounds like Henry is really starting to go off. Yeah, there's definitely some serious violin and scronking on this record. Yeah. This track, This track sticks out for that. Track 14, One-Eyed Theater from Live October 84. Probably my favorite of the live stuff, this one. Lots of interesting things going on here. Some cool effects, especially at the start. Possibly made on keyboards, but maybe a guitar, I'm not sure. I thought, and again, I don't know who was doing it, but um, working the volume knob, I thought was uh, done to nice effect here. Always like it when people are monkeying with their volume knob on guitar. You like it when they're working the knob. I love it. <laughs> bit of a Track... knob, bit of a knob fan, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Track fifteen, dog puppet born out of a sock, live eighty four, named I assume due to the fact that there's a super annoying sampled dog bark yeah. playing repeatedly throughout this track. Emphasis on super. Yeah, this is the only live track where you can actually hear an extended. Uh, audience applause at the end of the track the audience is actually barking <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear fred say the name of the track uh, to which the audience laughs and then we end with hard time killing floor blues from who needs friends this is a delta blues classic written by skip james who i assume was a huge influence on both fred and henry yeah. written about the american depression in the 30s uh, the original of this of this song is quite striking. This is an instrumental version. Skip was known for playing in an open D minor tuning. So, and it sounds like this might be as well. Yeah. I loved this track actually, like after grinding my way through that, you know, 60 plus minutes of the preceding tracks, this was a breath of fresh air. Put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I'm not surprising that they chose it last. I think, Here's a few reviews, Ryan, that I found Rick Anderson of All Music called With Friends Like These, one of the defining documents of the downtown avant-garde scene, saying they essentially redefined the sound of guitar, a must for noise fans, scronk hounds, and adventurous guitar heads. David Lewis in Canadian Magazine Exclaim, uh, describing the evolution from the first to second album, the Derek Bailey-inspired improvisations with skewed riffs and oddball time signatures to their inclusion of drum machines and other technologies on the second album and also on the unreleased live album, uh, he said it gave their music a dated and cheesy appeal and called this essential guitar music. Dean McFarlane, also in All Music, uh, on the first record, an extraordinary an extraordinary collaboration between two of avant-garde's most respected guitarists. He described much of it as chaotic experimental noise, but added that the tra traditional virtuosity also features prominently. And Ryan, there's also a documentary called Across the Border, 
which came out in 1990. It's kind of an avant-garde film about Fred. It was shot in black and white, 35 millimeter. It's very arty. It's not like, you know, a traditional documentary with talking heads or anything like that. Uh, there's a few cool interview segments, uh, some amazing performances by Fred, and a great primer for Fred's music, too, if you can track down the, the soundtrack to Across the Border. There's one scene in there where he's kind of talking about his career choices. He goes, I've tasted the other kind of work, and it's very boring for me. Traveling in a bus and going straight to a hotel, then being dumped in a hall where you do a sound check, then being taken back to the hotel, then you go and do your gig, and you're taken away from the people who have heard you back to the hotel again. It's very antiseptic. I value very much the contact with the local p people who are organizing the gig and finding out what their conditions are like and what the music in that area is like. And I also value the contact with the audience directly, especially if you're an improviser. You need to have feedback. You can't exist in a vacuum. Doesn't surprise me to hear him say that. If, you, if you've seen or, you know, watched some images of him playing live, because he sits down with bare feet and plays with just this array of instruments and pedals and everything like that it feels like he really wants to um have you know something like he's he's you know with the bare feet i don't know what it is it seems like he he really wants to feel everything about the performance i don't know yeah well and those ethics are similar to you know the punk rock ethos of connecting with an audience and yeah. breaking down the barrier between audience and band and artists so yeah, something more intimate, something more tactile and personal definitely seems um, what Fred is into for sure. Yeah. You know, as far as this record goes, I have to be honest, I'm never going to listen to it again. Uh, Agreed. But I have huge respect for both of the artists, for sure. Yep. And for the label for putting it out too, right? Yep. You want to talk about the artwork and stuff? Sure. The artwork has got like the front looks like like four kids drawn monkeys kind of in pastel colors that's my take on it does it say who drew that cover art and layout by david greenberger okay and the drawings are by ed rogers courtesy of the duplex planet right and then and then typography by michelle phillips and then the uh, the frith kaiser photo that's on the back of the insert where they they're both like leaning back and laying into um, a telly and a P base that pictures by Michael Conan. Yeah. So he has a website that I found. Um, there's an interesting story on there. So he says in 1987, I was working at San Francisco record store Astra records. He'd done some photos for negative lens escape from noise. Remember they had that, crazy book inside the re original record right yeah some of his photos are in there uh, he had met mark hosler when he had dropped by the so store to check if they were carrying negative land in their experimental section he says another semi-regular customer to pop in at the time was henry kaiser we had many conversations uh, also related to our experimental music section as well as artists of mutual interest and some of the eclectic LPs that the owner of Astra's would turn up with on his weekly vinyl hunts. After discussing artist Richard Thompson together and photos Michael had taken of him and his wife Linda on their 1982 U.S. tour, Henry invited him to photograph French Frith Kaiser and Thompson in Berkeley. And the photo uh, you see on the back of the CD is actually from one of their performances in 1987. That's it, Ryan. I guess we're, we're off to the ballot result. Off we go. Ballot result. What did you like? Uh, my probably my favorite track, other than "Hard Time Killing Floor Floor Blues," would be one of Nature's Mistakes. So, track five and track sixteen would be my favorite. I would say. I liked uh, the Trace, Roy Rogers, and one of Nature's Mistakes. Let's do that one. Let's do it. I'm in. Right on. Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, we're going back to one of your faves I know. It's the band Blast 
with yeah. the Power of Expression album, SST-148, and we've got a special guest. Yeah, Clifford Dinsmore is on the show. Nice. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.